Chris Pace, and David Hawkins. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Dive Bar. I'm your host, Dave Hawkins. And I'm your co-host, Chris Pace. Thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys had a chance to listen to our very first episode that we put out about a month ago, all about the Goonies. So if you are uh, returning to the dive bar, thank you so much for not letting us turn you off of our podcasting altogether and actually coming back and listening to us once again. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun time. We uh, we strolled out some good memories with the uh, the Goonies talk. And what's so funny about the the Goonies conversation is like I carry that conversation as soon as I got home. I can I continue that conversation with my wife and my son. And uh, like I said last time, that Heather hates the fucking Goonies. My son loves the Goonies, and so we had a, a conversation again about that. So it was a lot of fun to revisit the Goonies. Yeah, for sure. I did the same thing in my travels. I was able to speak about the Goonies and tell people about the podcast. And uh, it's funny. It, 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 you know, kind of what we talked about in that show, it, it's amazing how it kind of emulated in the conversations I had because people immediately lit up and were like, oh, man, I got a Goonies story. Yeah. So anyway, that's the power stuff. of the Goonies. Um, have you been noticing Goonies like story threads in the stuff you've been watching ever since oh, then? For sure. For it's like when you buy a new car, right? There's probably a whole psychological aspect there. Absolutely. So I've been seeing the Goonies everywhere. I think it's uh, a psychological condition at this point. <laughs> so uh, we're uh, we do this podcast once a month, and so uh, we've been very busy doing our own thing, and we're coming together uh, for January, and um, we've been up to a lot of different stuff. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I, I had a nice convention in Phoenix, so that was all business and good. Got to see a lot of great folks. Most recently, I spent four days in Louisiana, where, if you don't know, the food in Louisiana is always red, orange, or yellow. That's just the way it is. Is that the cover of your shit as well you when know, it comes out? Eh, you know, sometimes, sometimes. But I take a lot of milk thistles, so it helps out. But I'll tell you what, um, great people down there, had a great time, and uh, that's, that's kind of what I've been up to. Yeah, so most of you folks don't really know, so... Um, this is very much like the odd couple. Chris is, uh, the professional businessman that travels all over the country. Um, and he talks at conventions and does he, why don't you plug your blog while you're on here? Oh yeah. So, uh, we actually, I, I just started this uh, most recent blog called profiting from your passion, passion. From your pants? Is that yeah, what you Profiting from your pants? No. It's profiting from your passion uh, with Grant Alexander and Scott Morgan. Uh, I was I had the honor of uh, co-hosting with them, or being a guest, I guess, um, on their show today. So if, if you want to check that one out, that was fantastic. That's kind of leadership, business talk, emotional intelligence, a lot of fun. Yeah, and I am very much opposite. I, I hate, I'm not good at business. Um, I am wearing a Nine Inch Nails hoodie. Um, a flat build Punisher hat, and I smoke a lot of weed. In fact, I've even started a podcast called the Mile High Podcast. So we're very much different in uh, uh, in our appearance and kind of the avenues that our lives have taken. But there's one thing that Chris and I just love is pop culture. Uh, we're very much, we grew up in fairly similar um, childhoods, um, and we pretty much, we've grown up liking the same shit. So... You know, we may be polar opposites when it comes to the professional life. When it comes to our relationship, we're pretty in sync on it. So, well uh, yeah. So, a uh, little quick plug for the Mahai podcast. Uh, we had an amazing season two premiere last week with special guest Hollywood Tony P. He is a uh, pretty well respected director 
animated puppeteer. Um, he's a manager of a, the Carl Springs Wrestling League. And he is legitimately running for president. And he let us know probably 55 times over the course of our one and a half hour uh, long episode last week. But he was a great guest. Uh, we really appreciated him coming on. Um, and so one of the things that we do on the Mahai podcast, Chris is we talk about anything good that we've seen. So we always start off with, you know, have you seen anything good? Sure. Um, you know, uh, when I was actually flying back uh, from New Orleans. Uh, boy, are week. your arms tired. Yeah, and boy, are my arms tired, yeah. Um, you know, and I watched, uh, I, I believe it's called Remember My Face, and it's uh, Cameron Crowe's documentary about David Crosby and his time with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And I'll, i got to tell you, it was, uh, I, I love music documentaries anyway, did not know a lot about the group. Didn't realize how many of their songs that I really loved. I, I kind of always just lump everything in like, oh, if it's dirt grunge rock, you know, or it has that folky sound, it's probably some CCR song. Uh, but it wasn't, and I had a total appreciation. In fact, I've got a new station on Spotify now uh, for Crosby, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, just just to honor that, you know, what what I got out of that documentary. What about you? That's what great. Have you seen? So uh, I also do a. a podcast for Trekkie Pacific Productions called the Mahai Podcast Reviews. Um, and yesterday I wrote or I did a show about two true crime Netflix documentaries that I saw over the last couple weeks. The first one was Don't Fuck With Cats about uh, this guy who tortured cats, put it online, and a bunch of uh, internet sleuths tracked him down. Uh, this guy then eventually killed, murdered somebody, and he put that up online and wow. these internet sleuths tried to help the cops bring him down. So that was a really fascinating. Um, and then they uh, last week Netflix put up another documentary about Aaron Hernandez. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember Aaron Hernandez? I sure do. Um, for those who don't know who Aaron Hernandez is, um, he was a very gifted tight end for the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. Just signed a $40 million contract when he was arrested for murder and ultimately convicted for murder. And then he was attached to two other murders and so the documentary was really good in um trying to, to dissect Aaron Hernandez's life like how could this guy with so much talent uh become a serial killer right. um and it was a really fascinating documentary so um those are two uh things on Netflix that I, I enjoyed um after watching them you definitely need to take a shower because you just you don't feel good you feel dirty right. watching them uh saw bad boys for life last night uh, that was fun. It was good. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer shooting him uh, up, explosion. Course, right. Bunch of people getting shot in the head. That you, was a good one. Do you feel so, like it was 1999 all I, over again? You know what? Um, I felt it was more like in the 2000s when they put out Bad, Bad Boys 2. Because oh, okay. Bad Boys 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. No so. kidding. Yeah, you I love my, it. My favorite author, Jerry Stahl, uh, who wrote, wrote a memoir called Permanent Midnight, who was portrayed by Ben Stiller. Elizabeth Hurley was in the cast. Um, he actually wrote Bad Boys 2. It was kind of his comeback. <laughs> That's funny. He, he had kind of done the memoir trail, and you know, and he'd have been a drug addict in Hollywood. But uh, ph phenomenal, phenomenal uh, writer. But it's funny because you see his his touch on the screenplay when you see b bodies flying out of the back of a truck. Uh, if you remember that scene? Yeah, that's of course. Jerry Stahl in and out. That's so. funny. That, and that's funny because that was definitely my best of the the bad boys. But Bad Boys for Life was pretty good. So you know, it's not like a Martin Scorsese like The Irishman that I, I watched not too long ago, where you're like, or even The Joker for that matter, where you're 
totally mentally invested in this movie and it's a gripping tale and you're on your edge of your seat the whole time. No, this is a movie where you're laughing and Martin Lawrence is being goofy and people are getting shot in the head and uh, without it, you know, all these cops are shooting like 20, 30 drug dealers and then they're back at work the next day. There's like, there's no accountability, you know, so this shit never, is, it's not, there's no truth to this, but it's just fun. Just, it's kind of like a comic book movie and I guess in that regard where you really are, you're not mentally invested. You're just there for a good time. Sure, exactly. So. All right, so that's pretty much what I've been up to. A lot of uh, Truckee Pacific production stuff, uh, the Mile High podcast. We have a new episode coming up next week with our Harry Potter nerd uh, guest, Courtney Gunn. So we have a, a bunch of stuff coming up. So awesome. that's where. Um, so if you have not listened to the original episode of the Dive Bar, kind of what the Dive Bar is, is Chris and I will pick a topic and then we'll do some deep dive research into it. And then we talk about... Uh, what the cultural significance of this topic is. So uh, last week was the Goonies. Um, next week or the next uh, month that we do it, it's going to be all about my hero, Kevin Smith. But today we're talking about one of the best directors of all time, For sure. Quinn Tarantino. So Chris, this is actually uh, your topic. So why don't you tell me why Quinn Tarantino? Oh gosh, uh, there, there's a lot of reasons why, but you know, Quinn Tarantino for me... Uh, really stands for kind of the anti-Hollywood uh, establishment director. He was the guy that was kind of him and Robert Rodriguez really were kind of guerrilla directors. You know, they said, you don't need to go to film school. You don't need to work your way through the ranks. If you have a vision, you have a passion for film, if you can write a good script, you know, Tarantino, of course, being the king of dialogue next to John Hughes, um, you know, just go for it. And and you want to talk about someone who just gathered the resources and, you know, put a camera on a box and, and you know, put it on a skateboard and, and wrote, you know, took made some pretty cool shots. Like, that's what he represents to me. And so I just like how incredibly genuine and authentic and gritty his style is. And, and it just shows through in everything he's done, even as he's done big Hollywood movies. And, you know, and, and I think you consider him Hollywood movies. Because they, they gross a lot, and they have the advertisement, and they have the star power. But it didn't start like that. It started with just a really good script and a really good vision. And I, and I think a complete dedication to just seeing that vision through. And that's why Tarantino. Yeah, so one of the things that I love most about Quentin Tarantino, uh, he came up with Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith all came from that same time frame. And they are what defined indie film. Uh, you you can watch any movie right now. Look at Netflix; they're full of independent movies. Um, A twenty four is one of the most prolific independent movie studios that are out there, and they invest in independent, low budget movies. But it was because of the big three of Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, and Kevin Smith that all of that came to be. And unfortunately, they were all underneath. The Weinstein Company. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be a cloud of, um, uh, I can't find the think of a better controversy. Controversy. There you go. That's a great yeah. word. There's going to be a cloud of controversy over them at, at all because of their association with Weinstein. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Kevin Smith and Quarantino are just absolutely brilliant people. Yeah. Um, when you when I think of Tarantino movies, and I'm so happy that we are talking about this. Um, this is the first time I can really remember when I saw Reservoir Dogs for the first time, it was smart, it was funny, and it was violent. Oh, sure. So bringing 
into intellect into a violent setting. I hadn't seen that before, and I'm sure there have probably been more examples uh, in the past that I just am ignorant to at this point. But um, that was the first time that pop culture it was violent, it was funny, but it was very very smart. Sure, no, I agree with you 100. percent In fact. Um, when I told my son that what we were going to be talking about, he said, you know, I've never seen a movie by Quentin Tarantino. Like, what's what's it like? And I said, you know, you should probably start with Reservoir Dogs. And he goes, okay, what's it about? And I told him, you know, it's a story of bank robbers, but you don't actually see the bank robbery. You just kind of see the buildup, and then you see the aftermath, the failed aftermath. And I said, one of the best scenes, which becomes so iconic, is when Michael Madsen takes the ear off of a police officer that he'd taken, you know, hostage. But it was done in such a way that you don't focus on the grotesqueness of the of the moment. You literally laugh along with him, and and it, it hits like such a true vein. And you know when you're when you're absorbed in these moments, and I and I think that's so important because that's what Tarantino can do. He can transport you to another way of thinking, which truthfully I I think it just honors the characters in this world, uh, good and bad. Absolutely. And one of the things that I loved most about. Uh, Quentin Tarantino and is his love of music. For sure. And when you think of Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> yep. Let's see if uh, what was it? it was um Steeler's Wheel. Steeler's Wheel. Yep. Stuck in the middle with you. There you go. So, if you think Quentin Tarantino and you think Reservoir Dogs, you think Mr. Blonde. Okay. And the way that he's able to. Um, kind of weave in music into his movies yeah it's incredible yeah so no that's uh that's really something you know tarantino has said in multiple interviews that music is has been such a core influence for him but not the popular songs like he doesn't go straight to the beach boys or straight you know because he does a lot of 60s movies most recently in what's upon a time in hollywood he goes to kind of the offbeat and he even makes a point of saying this in in, in a lot of his early interviews it was really, he used to listen to the offbeat radio stations in LA, the things that people weren't, it wasn't the top 40, right? It was like the top 200. And, uh, and he would bring out some, and when you think about it, he's really reinvented a lot of the way that music is used in modern film. Yeah, so, um, Stuck on a Feeling. Um, right. Ooh, the Uga Chaka, that song. Right. I never heard of it. It's in Reservoir Dogs, and then all of a sudden, it's everywhere. Right. So, you know, um, have you ever seen Baby Driver? Uh, you know what? I've, I've watched the first, like, ten minutes, but no. All right. So, um, Edgar Wright, which is one of my favorite current directors right now, Baby Driver is written with music in mind. Okay. And I don't think... The movie's incredible. Mm-hmm. You, I definitely, It's definitely recommending that you should uh, watch that movie. Uh, I don't think he would be able to weave a movie into music if it hadn't have been for Reservoir Dogs, sure. Pulp Fiction, um, Jackie Brown even, like, set to different types of music. Like, music plays such an important part, and not just, like, John Williams' score. I mean, like, actual music. And like you said, it wasn't the the popular song of the day. It was, you know, Little Green Bag. It mm-hmm. was um, uh, Stuck in the Middle, and that, that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. So... One of the things we want to dive into a little bit, so a lot of people know Quentin Tarantino from his movies, but not a lot of people know about Quentin Tarantino and his early life and kind of where he started and how he uh, came up to be. So 
Uh, do you want to do, you have a full uh, outline here. Do you want to give a little bit of a history lesson? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, our man Quentin Tarantino was born in 63. Uh, his father was a small-time actor and producer. Um, his folks moved to L.A. when he was three. Uh, that relationship between mom and dad didn't work out too well, so she remarried pretty quickly out in L.A. Maybe that was because of dad's antics. We don't know. Uh, we know that whatever it was, Quentin sat in front of a TV and watched a lot of movies as a result. Yeah. So, which which a blessing for us and probably a blessing for him now and now, you know, now that it blossomed to something. Well, when I was researching Quentin Tarantino's childhood, I actually thought about you quite a bit okay. because um, movies play. Uh, you grew up in a house where your mom was a single mom, and movies played a huge part in your relationship. Growing up, and that seemed to be the case with Quentin Tarantino um, and his mom. She eventually remarried, and his stepdad uh, started bringing him to cinemas and taking him to movies that maybe were a little bit old, too old for him. Mm -hmm. But uh, movies became an integral part of his life, for sure. Yeah, you know what I particularly like about his history is that you know he just dug right in. So he just got he got into it, started writing screenplays when he was fourteen. You know, so uh, you, you got to appreciate the fact that not only did he watch it and take it in, but he said, you know what, I want to do this too. You know, he says often, like he used to watch, um, gosh, what's the old uh, Bruce Stern, uh, not the Samurai Way, what's the, there, there's some, I can't, I can't think of the name of the... Uh, Magnificent Seven. No, there's a, like an old, old, you know, old like kung fu movies, or maybe it was kung fu. He used to watch kung fu. Uh, you with know? David Carradine. With David Carradine. Whoa. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Okay. Yeah, not Bruce Stern. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, so so I mean, but that like that's the kind of stuff that inspired him. So that like built the narrative in his head. So as he started, you know, developing as a young man, he starts writing this stuff down and going, "Well, I can I can build on this." You know, that there's a comment that uh, I heard him in an, you know state an interview once, and that was you know someone asked him like, "What really inspired you?" And he goes, "Well, I I basically started writing episodes for some of the shows that they didn't write." Because I wanted to see that, and mm. I wanted to see the characters there. So, what what a what a cool intellect to be able to add to that. Absolutely, and he knew from a, a young age that he wanted to be involved in movies. Like, I didn't fucking know what I wanted to be when I was fourteen years <laughs> right. old. I'm doing shit completely different now than when, yeah. when I was fourteen years old. So, a, a marine biologist. <laughs> I wanted to be a marine biologist until I found out there was chemistry. So. <laughs> There, yeah. There's always math involved. I know. I wanted to be a science teacher. I love science so much. I wanted to, you know, be a part of something big, like a discovery of um, some sort of black hole. And then they're like, "Yeah, you got to take fucking lots of math." And I'm like, "Okay, right? <laughs> I want to do a podcast." Exactly. Where there's literally zero math involved in that's podcast. Right on. So, uh, like you said, Quentin Tarantino wrote his first screenplay at 14. Uh, his first screenplay was a take on Smokey and the Bandit called Captain Peach Fuzz. Um, at the same time, his stepdad started sending him to acting classes. And he uh, dropped out of school at 15 to become an <laughs> usher yeah. at an adult movie house. So, <laughs> so I guess the labor laws back then were a lot looser than they are today. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Um, and But he, the uh, important thing is he started working at a video star, store called the Video Archives. Uh, did you ever work at a video store? I did. Yeah, I tell actually, me about that. Oh, man. So, and it's funny because I had... I did too, so, by the way. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That's the coolest fucking job. Yeah, it, it really is, especially for guys like us. So, I actually uh, I worked at Blockbuster Video my junior and senior year of high school. 
Um, and, and I had dreams. This is when Tarantino, like Pulp Fiction came out in 94, right? And so I had dreams of kind of being that next movie inspiration. So I started to develop my love for movies because I was watching them constantly. This is back in the day where, you know, people still went to video stores and checked things out. I still have a, a, a movie list or an email uh, thread that I send movie recommendations. This is going on 25 years now <laughs> where I still send movie recommendations to people. But yeah, man, uh, it, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Seen some of the best movies, got exposed to the best minds in the business because, you know, when you're working at the movie store, you get all the offbeat stuff. You don't watch the new releases because you could, I mean, every night I'm, I'm taking home three movies. Yeah, that was definitely the best part of that job is getting to see all the movies. Um, one of the, the best movies that came out while I was working in the movie theater was, or at the movie store was Fearless with Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Where he survives the crane, plane crash. Yeah. Um, I got obsessed with that movie afterwards because that was a, a great fucking movie. Great. And I never would have watched it if I didn't get a free copy. For sure. Did you guys have... Uh, you were at the Blockbuster. Uh-huh. My place had the adult section in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was that a Hollywood video? Or video? No, part? it was a mom and pop video store. Okay. Uh, but they had the adult videos in the back. And... Uh, one of my coworkers caught people doing inappropriate shit back there, so you always had to be on the lookout <laughs> for some fucking pervy people out here in Aurora, Colorado, right? jerking off to porno boxes. Oh, man. Now, works. the internet <laughs> has completely eliminated that shit. Absolutely. You, you never need to worry about that ever exactly. again. Exactly. No, no more peeking through the scrambled lines on uh, Channel like, 855. Playboy Channel. Like, ooh, I think I saw a booby. <laughs> I don't know. I remember that shit. Oh, man. My dad used to work for, uh, I think it was Jones Cable when Cable first came out. And so we had, like, all the scramble channels and shit, and, like, that's one of the things that I would try to do is try to de-scramble some boobies. <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. So while he was working at the movie theater, or at the, I keep saying movie theater, yeah. the, the movie place, Video yeah. Archives, um, he ran into a producer named Lawrence Bender, and he, uh, they struck up a friendship. Eventually, uh, Quentin Tarantino um, gave him a script. And that script was for Reservoir Dogs. Um, but based off of his friendship with Lawrence Bender, he got his first gig um, as a production assistant on Lolf, Dolph Lundgren's exercise video. <laughs> so Quentin Tarantino's first um, credited job in Hollywood was on Dolph Lundgren's exercise video. Nice. Old Drago himself. Old Drago. Yeah. That was the only movie that guy ever did that was good. Oh, man. That, that, did that, you ever that, see Universal Soldier Man with John claude Oh, okay. Fair enough. That's a good point. Um, yeah, his He-Man rendition was terrible. His Punisher <laughs> right. was even worse. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, he worked his way up through the, the movie studio or the, the movie business. Um, he was hired to write from Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that one? Oh, yeah. That was okay. fantastic. That was where George Clooney proved that he was a real deal actor, man. Yeah. So, sir, he'd come right out of ER, and he goes right into this role where he's got a neck tattoo, and he's a badass. And he fucking murdering people. Oh, it's fantastic. He'd been Quentin Tarantino, just straight yeah. up fucking murdering people. Yeah. Um, Michael Parks is now great. Oh, he's the He's the dad. Yep. Um... So Michael Parks is an indie actor extraordinaire. So he's not in a lot of big-name movies, but he's in a bunch of smaller movies, and he fucking blows it away. Um, so next week or next month, we'll talk about Kevin Smith, and eventually we'll talk about Tusk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Tusk, Chris. It's where a dude gets turned into a walrus. Right. Uh, but Michael Parks is in that movie, and he's fucking amazing. And he's one of the best like performances in a movie, and this in such a weird fucking movie. Yeah, yeah great. for sure. So, he's hired to write Dust from Dawn. Um, 
so like I said, he uh, told or he, his little friend Lawrence Bender, mm-hmm. uh, he gave him the script to Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Bender loved it so much that he gave it to some of his Hollywood friends, one of which was Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel was fucking blown away by this movie, so he actually invested in the creation of the mm-hmm. movie and was also given uh, production credit on it. Uh, Quentin Tarantino put it together. Um, he released that Sundance. And the rest is fucking history. Reservoir Dogs just exploded at Sundance. Um, in the meantime, he was hired to write True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Oh. Um, True Romance, I love. Natural Born Killers, I really love Natural Born Killers. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but it doesn't hold up. That's a, one of those movies that really doesn't hold up to this day. So I watched it probably uh, a year ago. Okay. Uh, and like, oh, sweet natural born killers. And it's hard to find. Yeah. Like you, it's it's not on like Prime Video. It's hard to find. Like it's not on Netflix or anything like that. Um, I saw it. I watched a little bit. I'm like this really isn't as good as I remember it being. Uh, okay. Probably because we're in a different uh, culture now, or different form of society where you know glorifying serial killers and shit like that. It's probably not as. Uh, Cooth is today. Yeah, no, very, very true. And I, you know, I think the uh, the societal you know norms have changed, and we've become a little more sensitive about things like that. But but I mean, certainly it speaks to the ages. And you know, Oliver Stone is credited with making you know he, in in his Oliver Stone wrote this in in a in kind of like a sub autobiography. He said, "I took what Quentin Tarantino had, which was a movie." And I turned it into a film, and Oliver Stone being, of course, famous for JFK and you know all these other big deals because he likes to expose things on a grander scale. And I think he did that at the time, but I agree with you. I don't know that it's necessarily timeless. I do think it's funny that Tarantino hated the adaptation so much that he didn't even want to credit for it. Yeah. He wanted right out of it. Yeah, I, and honestly, I didn't know that he had a, uh, he was one of the writers, or the main writer of Natural Born yeah. Killers, until I, I researched it because he doesn't want anything to do with it. Now, have you ever read the actual script of Red no. Natural Killers? So I, I read it back in the in late '90s, and and I'll tell you, it is. It, I got to give Oliver Stone credit, and is I know this is a Tarantino, you know, suck fest, but you know, at the end of the day, um, it, what he took, what what Tarantino had was a movie. It was it was a snapshot of this, you know, this. Uh, girlfriend boyfriend you know love crazed serial killer couple where they go on the road and kill all these people but it was it was like a flash in a pan slice of life type movie and Ter- and stone really blew it up so all credit there so would you love to see uh quentin tarantino directed natural born killers yes how amazing would that movie be that would be amazing that would be great that's what i'm talking about that's that's genius man yeah so after his uh kind of disillusionment of uh, with <clears throat> natural born killers um, he goes off to Europe and he uh, holds himself up in an a apartment and hammers out Pulp Fiction. Yep. And when he uh, brings it back, he, the Weinstein Company funded Pulp Fiction. Um, he, to save money, he brought on John Travolta, who <laughs> um, yeah. the the last good movie he was in was Look Who's Talking. Yeah. So the guy was came cheap and he fucking made history. Yeah. Um, I think it was like that independent movie won more Oscar awards, more Golden Globe awards than any other independent movie mm-hmm. in history. It made fucking tons of cash. Yeah, um, to this day? To this day, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love two two things about that. Number one, it reinvented John Travolta's career. And, and John Travolta's come out and said that. You know, he knows that he came out and he played Vince Vega. And he had a badass scene with that killer dialogue. Vince Vega. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, you know, but, but, you know, the big, other big thing, too, is 
This was Samuel L. Jackson's breakout movie, too. Nobody knew Samuel L. Jackson. You know, I think he was, I want to say he's in his late 40s or early 50s doing church theater, you know, dealing with addiction. And, uh, you know, he was in recovery. And and then he does this big role, which was just perfect. And, And let's be honest, that's Tarantino's gift. He sees such spectacular opportunity or or this this really this flair for normal or plain type people to be just exceptional when they get them on film with the right lines and and he's made a career out of that i mean he's made careers out of his movies and he what's funny about him is that i don't know if he has set out to resurrect careers but that's what he does michael parks yep um john tovolta uh, Pam, Greer. Pam Greer. Yeah, yeah you know, Pam, sure. Pam Greer actually, uh, to my knowledge, lives uh, maybe a few miles from here. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. She, I used to work at the mall back way back in the day. She <laughs> used to come in all the time. That's funny. So so uh, let's give uh, let's blow uh, Quentin Tarantino just a little bit more here. Uh, he's been uh, for Pulp Fiction. He won the Oscar for best screenplay and nominated for best director and best picture. He's been nominated for eight Academy Awards, dozens of Golden Globes, People Choice, BAFTA, and Critics Choice Awards. Um, so, uh, I mean, he's gone from working in a movie studio or uh, yeah. movie <laughs> store. Where, movie store. I mean, video I'm, store. I'm struggling with that yeah, shit. Right. Video store. Videos. <laughs> it's because they're the, so ancient. It's they hard, are. It's hard to... So for those who are listening, videos were these things that came, they're like these little black boxes that had film inside and you put them in a machine and you press play and it, you were, your movie would play after you press play. And if you're rich enough, you would have a remote control. <laughs> Otherwise, you were like me, who uh, I was the human remote control. My parents would be like, go fast forward the movie. Like, okay. Right. And I'd get up and go fast forward the movie. That's funny. Did you have a rewinder or did you just rewind it in your VCR? No, we re- we rewinded it in the VCR. Yeah, yeah, we weren't rich enough to have the rewinder. Yeah. I don't. I never got that. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, people would buy rewinders. For sure. Their, like, why? I don't know. <laughs> That's so uh, stupid. I don't know. Um, so, Quentin Tarantino's career is not without some criticism. Um, I'm going to cough real quick, so I'm going to have you talk about some of the Quentin Tarantino criticism. Yeah, well, you know, one of the biggest things about Tarantino and the criticism he receives are, one, he, he doesn't hold back, and, and he, I think he's very true to the time, so there's a lot of racial slurs, there's a lot of stereotypes that he plays up, and while I'm a, I'm a pretty objective, you know, uh, liberal person when it comes to, the, you know, what's relayed on film, but, you know, to me, he's just relaying the time and really kind of taking it to the moment. And for a lot of people, I think they just want to be sensitive about that, and they kind of want to sweep it under the rug. Um, other things, too violent. That's always been a big thing. Is you know he's not afraid of gore. He's not afraid of showing the blood and guts of things. You know I've got my feelings on why I think that works. And then of course his friendship and and kind of support of, of Weinstein. You know I, I think you know he's he's obviously been criticized for that. I think we can all agree. You know Harvey's probably not the best guy on the world. You know, but I think you know one one beautiful thing about Tarantino, and I sound like I'm making excuses for him, and I probably am, but. You know, it's he's just he honors the relationship he has with people, and if they go off and they do shitty things, you know, I, I think he, he it's hard for him being the person he is to go back and kind of spit in their face and dishonor that agreement. You dishonor. Um, Kevin Smith and Quintino actually have grown up together in the film industry, and, and they've become good friends ever since uh, Reservoir Dogs and Clerks came out, uh, and they were both under the the Weinstein Company, <clears throat> and they uh, cut their teeth in the Weinstein Company. Um, Kevin Smith was one of the first people that like you know I think what Weinstein did was absolutely atrocious and you know he started giving profits to his Weinstein monies to um, like battered women's shoulders and shit where Quentin Tino he was one of the last directors to jump off the Weinstein bandwagon mm-hmm. 
So yeah, he got a little bit of a flack for that. Um, but I think he's just trying to be loyal. And um, I think once the stories came out of just how big of a dirtball Weinstein was, mm-hmm. there was no holding back. Sure. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I think it's uh, it, it's important that at the end of the day, it, it was all dissolved and, and people were able to move forward. So Yeah, and Weinstein is... Uh, on trial right now for sexual assault, and yeah. I hope that guy goes away for a really long time. Um, but that's just kind of another speed bump in the tale of Hollywood. Yeah, exactly, right? All right, so this is the the part that I was really looking forward to. So <clears throat> let me list the Quentin Tarantino movies, and then let's talk about them. All right? Deal. So he started with Pulp Fiction, uh, and these are the movies that he directed himself. I mean, he has done so many, like... TV shows that he's directed. He's written tons of movies, tons of shows. So we're just going to go by uh, the major movies that he's directed. And I don't, I didn't include Four Rooms because he only directed one segment of that anthology movie. Um, and I actually haven't seen it. But oh, it's terrific! It's yeah. a really phenomenal movie. Yeah, Madonna's best work. <laughs> And that's not saying a whole lot there. Yeah. Well, come on. Did you ever see, uh, what was it? A says, no. Okay. Dick Tracy? No. Okay. It's like, uh, not Avita? cast away. No. Stop. I'll, I'll think of it later. Hey, I don't uh, know. I don't know. Right. Totally desperately seeking Susan. Was that it? <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, uh, Death Proof, which is part of the Grindhouse um, series. Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, and most recently, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. So, Chris. Yeah. Tell me, what are your favorites? Oh, man. So, um, I, I won't put them in an order because they all, Tarantino's catalog is so different. I think it's hard to rank one of the other. Um, I'm going to pause you right there. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Um, so, that's one thing I really love about Quentin Tarantino yeah. is he started with kind of gringy, uh, grimy... Um, small-time hood pieces mm-hmm. that were kind of set in real life. And then once Kill Bill came through, he completely changed his style. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I really love about him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And, and I think, you know, I, if I had to give you my top three, I would tell you uh, Pulp Fiction and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Django Unchained. So those are uh, those are my top three. Now, I could watch any of them at all times. These are what I call uh, work production killers any one of these movies comes on and i'm in the middle of trying to do something and it's game over man it's like christmas vacation you know like i'm just i I just lost two or three hours of my life um only i really didn't i I should say i lost two three hours out of work production so i'm gonna stay up later but i'm watching the movie man yeah so um uh you and i yeah have completely different um lists oh perfect good so i will always say that reservoir dogs is my number one Quentin Tarantino movie. Sure. Is it his best movie? No. But for me, it, it's my favorite of his because that really um, established my relationship with his work. Um, it, the acting on it is just so fucking great. Uh, it's, the, the dialogue is so amazing, um, especially that the opening scene where they're at the diner and they're talking about the tipping. Oh, gosh. Like, this is a fucking heist movie where people are getting shot and people are getting their ears cut off. And they're debating whether or not they tip. Sure. These, these uh, robbers talking about why do they tip? Why not? And Steve Buscemi, uh, that was the first movie I've ever seen him in. Um, he was fucking great. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, yeah, Tim Roth is really good. Uh, Michael Madsen was really good. But I think Steve Buscemi kind of was the standout in that movie. Um, it was fucking violent. They cussed a lot. I mean, like, 
Oh, yeah. got his ear cut off. I mean, this movie is everything that I've my eighteen uh, year old self wanted to see. <laughs> That's the truth. So oh. yeah, so I will say Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. I will agree with you there. That one is fucking incredible. Um, I it, it's so weird to see like big name actors in Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. movies since he's such an indie uh, icon. And then I'm gonna go in Glorious Bastards. Uh, you know it's funny, Dave. I, th- I knew you were gonna say that, and and I'm gonna actually fight with you on this. One. Okay. So so while I think that there, in Glorious Bastards was completely stylized to Tarantino's you know flavor, fantastic. But I'll tell you, to me, what makes a really good movie is not just the style, the cinematography, and all, and the direction, but it's also the choose the choice of scenes that you pick for the movie to tell that story. I really feel like, so I can't pick a, a number one, but I can pick the last one. I will tell you, Inglorious Bastards is my least favorite. Again, not because of the way it was produced. I think there was a lot of good elements there. I think the opening scene with Christopher White and our introduction to him as an actor, you know, in general, was phenomenal. Uh, but but I feel like he could have chose Tarantino could have chosen better scenes to tell that story. I I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, I just think the the whole story. Uh, just from like we starts off with Christoph Waltz uh-huh. in the fucking dairy farm, and that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. And seeing uh, the fucking end where the not like I wasn't expecting the fucking Hitler to get killed at the end. And right. I mean like that took me by surprise. Like I had no um, preconceived uh, notion that he was going to change history like that. Sure. And then in the middle, you know, having the fucking bear Jew and having the the quintessential Quentin Tarantino violence. And this is his first, like, period movie. Right. So um, he's taken World War II, but he's putting Quentin Tarantino violence and dialogue in it. And then the uh, emergence of Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that probably is what set it off. But anything with Christoph Waltzen, yeah. I will fucking watch because that dude is amazing in anything. And Django Unchained, Holy he is cow. so him and Jamie Foxx are oh. so fucking good together. Um, I love Django Unchained. It's funny, yes, um, <laughs> and it's unapologetically racist. Yes, unapologetically oh. racist. You want to talk about catching some flack? <laughs> Tarantino caught so much flack about that movie because of those racial undertones, mostly from Spike Lee. Who you know, if anybody's going to talk about <clears throat> racial. Um, um, necessity racial equality, yeah. Spike Lee is probably the preeminent voice to talk about it. For sure, especially within the film industry. But but at the same time, I, you know, I always, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a, a blatant supporter of Tarantino, and I will say he can do no wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, again, like I said before, he's so pure to the time, I just think he doesn't want to water it down. And I think we deserve that. I mean, it's kind of like this, you know, not to get too political, but, you know, it's like taking down Confederate statues. It's like, but that's our history. And as long as we're not doing that shit now, I don't think, I, I think they serve as a reminder to not forget. And and I want to believe that that's why Tarantino is unabashedly pure about that stuff, because he just doesn't want us to forget. When you watch that, I mean, and, and last thing I'll say here, when you watch Django Unchained, you get the rile. If you don't get riled up, you know maybe you have a white hood in your closet. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, you get riled up because it stirs something emotional in you. And at the end, when you see the slave masters go down, you go, "Yeah, man!" But that's what it's meant. But if you don't if you don't set it up in such a way that pisses you off, I don't think you're doing it right. Yeah, I and I totally agree with you uh, on ninety percent of what you said. Uh, I think there's a difference between the Confederate statues because. Those are trophies to glorify the history, whereas Quentin Tarantino in in um, Django Unchained, he 
doesn't glorify these racial epithets. He doesn't glorify the slave owner. He makes them out to be stupid and trash and violent and mean and mm. like no redeeming qualities. Whereas the example of the statues is more like this is a glorification of our history, historical past. Understood. Gotcha. Oh, but um, I I understand where um, Spike Lee is coming from. Um, Stephen King, one of our favorite mm-hmm. authors, he uses a lot of racial epithets too, um, and he doesn't get nearly as much slack at, or a flack about the as um, Quentin Tarantino does. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's because people don't read books anymore. <sighs> Isn't that sad? Uh, yeah. As an author myself, uh, <laughs> right. Race Your Space is available now on Amazon. Um, yeah. People, but even then, like fucking Stephen King put in um, Kid Orgy, like orgy of kids that are like 10 years old and it he uses the n-word like all the time uh, but people don't get on his ass about it right um and not be and i think it's because it doesn't look like he's glorifying it right That's um, a good point. and it's also i guess you have that little bit of dissociation when it's the written word versus it's confronted like right in front of your face yeah no very very true uh which is funny um you, you know i think he did this he did this a lot in uh, i'm trying trying to think in uh I know I think Kill Bill had a lot of those kind of racial themes. I mean, when you think you go from you know Lucy Liu's character in Japan, and you go to you know the the um, gosh, what's her name uh, that, that plays the uh, plays uh, Black Mamba? Is it uh, Kim Basinger? No, no, it's uh, no. I can't, gosh, I'm at a loss for uh, actress names today or actor names. Don't worry. It, yeah, that's funny. What, uh, like whenever you have a microphone in your yeah. face, your fucking brain turns to goo. Yeah, no, it's uh, but so you keep know, talking. I'll find I, it out for you. All right, Google you know, knows I, all. Yeah, it's a uh, black mamba, and I can't. You know, she she had a she had a resurgence because of this because of him as well. So which is what Tarantino is so good. No, definitely not. No, she she's the the, the black uh, assassin. So that's why she's called the Black Mamba. I don't see. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I want to say it's Vanessa something. I, I, I Angela Angela Bassett. Is it Angela Bassett? No, Vanessa something. Oh gosh, Vivica A. Fox. Vivica Fox. There it is. Yeah, All we're right. way off. Vivica end. Fox, right? Which it's funny now that I'm thinking about this. I think she dated Jamie Fox, or maybe their brother and sister. I don't know. More controversial Tarantinoisms. Yeah. So, so just because their name is Fox and they're black, they're, yeah. they have to be related uh, no. in some sort. Listen, is that what you're listen. saying? No. <laughs> and, and they have a kid, and it's the fantastic Mr. Fox. So, uh, Qu- George yeah. Clooney. Yeah, exactly. Uh, See? Weird. See how they connected. I don't I'm know, man. Saying, Jamie man. Fox is a pretty good-looking dude. I'm sure he, his kids are pretty good-looking. Yeah. Too. Right. So, but you know, l- listen. It's uh, getting back, I guess, to the main point. Inglorious Bastards. I will say one of my favorite Tarantino scenes is in that movie, and that is when they're sitting in the in the German house bar, right? In the in the I don't know what they call it, the Hofbrau, uh, Hofbrau, um, and they're having that tense conversation. And you know he's supposed to be practicing this perfect German accent, and you're waiting for things to happen. That is one of the most tense Tarantino scenes I've ever seen. Really, one of the most tense scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Absolutely, and you know, just having just. If I can remember that scene exactly, I know what we were talking about, mm-hmm. and it was the the lady did something just like some really small detail yeah. that Christoph Waltz and you can see in Christoph Waltz that he knows, yeah, and then you know he knows, but she doesn't know exactly, yeah. But the, you know that's what Tarantino does so well because you know he, uh, he reminds me a lot of my favorite my favorite director, which is Paul Thomas Anderson, who did Boogie Nights, Hard Eight. You know, Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, uh, but and that is he's not Tarantino's not afraid to to make a scene go on, and so you have long camera shots. I mean, you're talking four or five minutes without switching scenes, and just 
slowly panning around the room, and I think what he does so well is he establishes the ambiance and he puts the viewer in the environment, and that's what makes you feel tense, and that's what you know peels you back and puts you into the movie because you feel the tension going on, and you're just waiting for it to happen, like you're sitting at the table. I mean, man, I I probably have ducked when guns yeah. get fired in a Tarantino movie because yeah. I'm like, holy shit, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the nonlinear style? Well, so so I'm a big fan of nonlinear because I'm a big beatnik fan from you know classic literature. Um, so you know Herbert Hunkery and William S. Burroughs and you know I mean those guys they do a cut up fashion. So I'm kind of used to getting my brain around that. But you know here's the funny thing: if you look at what Tarantino did with Pulp Fiction, because that was the first time he really really cut up kind of narratives, right? You have Bruce Willis as the boxer. You have you know uh, Samuel L. Jackson and. Uh, and uh, John Travolta is the kind of the cleaners, right? The hitman. You have all these different things, and they kind of, and they're certainly nonlinear. But you, if you look at movies afterwards, I think Grand Canyon was probably the biggest one, which is a total stray from yeah. you know Tarantino, right? Because it was like a feel-good, dramatic, whatever movie. But I, I really think he set the tone on how to do it right. So when you talk about you know his his impact in filmmaking in the American cinema, he really taught us how to use our brain and consider all these different lives intersecting and how each one of them have like a really integral moment and it doesn't have to be big it can be one flash in the pan moment that this person sees this person but it connects it might we say he had the first multiverse I, you know i, I don't know <laughs> uh, no, he, that's so funny is that he definitely did build his own quinn tarantino universe so um, Reservoir Dogs is associated to Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. two romance, natural born killers. The, even though he doesn't um, want to take any credit, you still see some of the natural born killers roll into Reservoir Dogs into uh, Pulp Fiction. Absolutely. So, um, what's your least favorite? Oh, you already said yeah, was, uh, Bastards, Bastards. yeah. I think mine would be Jackie Brown. Okay, it just um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just sure. no, not as entertaining as some of the other ones. Um, I really enjoyed the Hateful Eight. Sure, um, that was a, a fun one. Uh, it's kind of like in the middle of the pack, but his take on westerns, I thought that was pretty fun. Um, I think he won. Uh, the composer uh, used to do all the spaghetti westerns, the oh, music for them, cool. and he won his first Oscar by uh, by doing the uh, Hateful Eight. So. Yeah. But that was fun, and it was filmed in Colorado. So. Oh, right on! I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. I mean, it looks just like Colorado. Absolutely. Um, have you ever seen Grindhouse Death Proof? Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? Oh yeah, I that, I, that's like the only one on this thing I have not seen. Oh man, that's so your style as far as horror films and stuff like that. Because you know when they when when they do uh, not Death Proof, but the but the first one, which is uh, Alien. Gosh, what you called? It How, was, it was uh, Robert Rodriguez's version. Yeah, it, it was. was the chip with the leg, right? Exactly. Yeah, but I mean that is just gruesome. I'll tell you what. One of the worst moments. So there's two moments in cinematic history for me, and there's probably more out there. I don't watch horror films anymore, but you know I'll tell you when when the Achilles heel gets cut and when Fred Gwynn's Achilles heel gets cut <laughs> in that cemetery. That's the most <laughs> cringing moment, cringeworthy moment I've seen, you know, in fin- in cinema. Number two is when this girl is racing away in in in, uh, in the you know attack of the alien one, the Robert Rodriguez intake, um, when she breaks her wrist, putting it into the car, you know, into the uh, um, car handle. It is a me or the door handle. It is amazingly just crunchy and it's, it's terrible. <laughs> you'll you'd love it, man. They're both good. Russell's fantastic in that. He's great, and, and, and I'll tell you, I'm glad that he's. And that's one thing I love about him about Quentin Tarantino is like when he finds an actor yeah. he'll just put him in everything heck yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and, and, but it almost, I mean, he builds like a multiverse for an actor, right? And, and a lot of times it doesn't have to be this big name. Like, I'll tell you the best, I think the best actor in all of um, Death Proof was Rose McGowan. Uh-huh. So, I mean, she did a tremendous job, you know, because, like, she was just this understated actress, and yeah, she was in Scream and all this other stuff, but her role in that and how it goes down is just rich, man. Yeah. Um, I think so many people that uh, have resurrected their careers in Quentin Tarantino movies, um, even look at Brad Pitt. Like, yeah. Brad Pitt has kind of been out of the game for a while, and he really showed up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and... He said that it was Quentin Tarantino's script and that it was such a strong script that pulled him out of his, like, quasi-retirement. Sure. Um, it's uh, How good is it be Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah, man? Right. He's in fucking all these Martin Scorsese movies, yeah. and then he jumps right into Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah. I mean, like... Yeah, he's running the power gamut. But, but you know, he earned that, and you know the story, right? So in, in Django Unchained, so Leo DiCaprio is having this scene where he's given he's given the lowdown, right? And he's, oh, and yeah. And where he, where he gets pissed off at uh, it's, it's, uh, Christoph Waltz, and, and he, he slams, slams his, hand. his hand, right? So he slams his hand, actually, you know, like, causes Cut, major yeah. tendon damage. Yeah, you know, cuts, cuts the shit out of his hand. Oh, yeah, I mean... That alone, him working, and, and Leo DiCaprio said this in interviews, he's like, that was the moment, he goes, I just knew that like this script and working with Tarantino was so pure, because he was so caught up in that character, like he just rolled with it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Man. So when you see uh, DiCaprio's hand bleeding in that movie, he's like legitimately hurt and bleeding, and yeah. he just went on. That's well, how like great, six how, or seven minutes. Yeah, how great of a fucking actor is yeah. he? Yeah. Um, What's so funny, I think one of these days we'll fucking do Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe right. years down the road, but uh, we'll do like a little uh, dive bar into Leonardo DiCaprio right now. That guy is a fucking great actor. I mean, phenomenal. Who thought that the dude from uh, Titanic and Jack Dawson, and, yeah. and uh, Romeo and Juliet would actually grow up? And he's like a fucking legit amazing actor. Yeah, right. good for him. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I think one of his most underrated roles was uh, in Catch Me If You Can. Oh, I yeah, love that movie. It just came on Netflix, movie. and so yeah. yeah, that's a that's one of those ones where I have to watch it every time yep everybody's great in it yeah you agreed. know Spielberg at the top of his game right. Tom Hanks and Leo yeah and I think that's kind of one of those roles that Leo went from a young Hollywood up-and-comer to legit Hollywood actor mm-hmm. uh, I Spielberg brought the best out of him and him his play with Tom Hanks in that movie is fantastic yeah you absolutely bet. fantastic well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Spielberg because I think that's one thing is when I think Spielberg, I think big Hollywood director that that continues to have good visions throughout the years, but I think people are so afraid to tell someone like Steven Spielberg or George Lucas, hey man, you're going to have to cut that down a little bit. And so you have a movie like, uh, you know, uh, gosh, what was uh, what was the one with uh, the kid? Um, I What was it called? It wasn't iRobot. It was... Uh, you know which one I'm talking about. Spielberg's big AI. It was okay. AI. Right? AI went on for years longer than it needed to. But who's going to tell Spielberg to cut his movie? Yeah. But Tarantino is still self-preserving and self-aware enough that I think he still has people around him that go, hey man, put that in the extra, but it doesn't need to be in the movie. Because he continues to create greatness, and he doesn't really blow up to that bigger-than-life, you know, where you kind of go, oh, he jumped the shark, he's over the hill. Like, he continues to batter out good stuff. And one of the smart things that he does... That a lot of, of directors, especially of his stature, um, he has other people edit his movies. Like, right. he, and he doesn't, he's not actively involved in the editing process. Uh-huh. He gives full faith, and he's had the same editor for years and years. And so he trusts her complicitly, or completely. Um, and he doesn't really 
fight with her. Like he believes in her vision, and so um, when you have these big time directors, they usually like to be like really involved in the editing process, and that's when you start getting the movies that are too long mm-hmm. or movies that uh, have like a really dead middle right. because they're not edited properly and they're not living up to the editor's um, vision. Uh, I, I think it, that's a great thing that he does is he allows somebody else to edit his movies for him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, that that's why he's really such a good filmmaker. And I think a lot of people make movies, but not a lot of people make films. You know, and I don't mean that in the Oliver Stone sense, where where it's got to say something or have this big message, but it's just got to be pure to the to the medium, and and you know Tarantino continues to make films that really do just kind of give you those slice of life moments, and his character development is second to none. I mean, I really I put him on par with him and John Hughes. You don't need much because they know the right scenes to to put into the movie or into the film to get an understanding of who these people are. Like, when you think about the catalog, we think about Steven Spielberg, right? So Steven Spielberg's made a lot of movies, and you could talk about Jaws, and you could talk about E.T., and you could talk about all these big ones, but you can't really pull characters out of the movie and go, well, yeah, I mean, Elliot was amazing, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I can't even tell you some names of these people. But in Tarantino, there's a whole cast of characters that he creates that come out of his brain, onto the page, through an actor's portrayal, and I can tell you about Vince Vega. I can tell you about Jules. I can tell you about, you know, uh, what, uh, gosh, well, no. Jew bear. Yeah, exactly, right? Bear Jew. Yeah, bear, the, the bear Jew, right? Do you, you know, know about the bear Jew? No, it's me. supposed to be Adam Sandler. That was, really? That, that role was written for Adam Sandler. Interesting. Was yeah. it a scheduling conflict? Or? Uh, yeah. Okay. And they ended up getting... Um, uh, Eli Roth, who yeah. is a, a acclaimed horror movie director, oh, took yeah. over for Adam Sandler. I didn't know that that was Eli Roth. Yeah. He's a bigger guy than I suspected. Yeah, yeah. I figured he'd be a mousy little horror, rat, you know, <laughs> like like they sometimes can be. So, but yeah, that's kind of that's racist. I think. No, I know it's culturist. Okay, culturist. Yeah, it's culturist, and that's fair. That's fair game. <laughs> so, and and listen, you know, my intent is is you can only be offended if my intent is to offend. That's fair. All right. Otherwise, you you cannot be. So. Uh, before we wrap it up, let me ask you, where does he rank amongst the greats? When, when I think of greats, I think of Francis Ford Coppola. I think sure. of um, Steven Spielberg. I think of Martin Scorsese. I would even put Christopher Nolan up there as one of the greats. Sure. Where do you think he ranks up there? Does no. he does he belong in that upper tier, or does he belong in that second tier with an Edgar Wright, a Paul um, Anderson? Right. You know, it's it's tough. I, truthfully, I think he has to be second tier right now just because he hasn't had that great American opus, and I don't know that he ever dreamed to be. I don't think Tarantino ever sat down and said, I want to be Spielberg. I want to, like, you hear stories about, you know, who, who was it that, I think it may have been Spielberg that, you know, or Lucas that jumped the fence and got us through a script in through a sunroof, and, like, they, those people aspired to be the best of the best, and, and yeah, they've made these epic things, but, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that's what he looks for. So I put him as, like, a Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, a Kevin Smith. I mean, that's there's like the second tier that's like to me more real on a personal level. And that that's on the American landscape. On a personal level, I'll put Tarantino, PTA, Kevin Smith, Christopher Nolan. Those are the guys that make the movies that I really thrive on. Absolutely. If any one of those directors put out a movie, I I don't wait for it to come on Netflix unless it's The Irishman. Um, I will go to the movie theater because I know that. I'm going to get the best value out of my money. Mm-hmm. I know the product is going to be great. Um, it's going to uh, occupy my mind for a long time. Uh, it'll be a great conversation with whoever I'm with, whether it's you or whether I go with my wife or whoever. 
um, I know that I'm guaranteed a quality product by going to see any of those movies. Absolutely. Um, so I would put him up in that top tier. Um, I, but I think that his uh, perception is he's a second tier director, which sure. I I don't I don't agree with that because. His stuff not only does it win awards, but it's financially successful. Sure, um, he pulls out the best names that are out there to be in his movies. Sure, um, you you could hardly say that for uh, Christopher Nolan. You don't. He pulls out great actors, but you know I don't. Does is he pulling out the best actors of the day and putting them together and making a great movie? Sure. So. Yeah. No, I, I I agree with you 100. percent I think you know in, in Tarantino writes roles that people want to star in and to me the sign of the best director of the best creator is man like like if i i picture you know like who's an up-and-coming actor here who was just in the goldfinch he was also in the movie you mentioned uh earlier um i mentioned many many i know movies. i know man um uh, no I, I can't i can't think of the one um oh baby driver who played oh, uh, the, um Man, yeah, I know. I can't. Yeah, yeah. So it, we're well, lost we're gonna say Taron Egerton because that's the only one that come to my mind. Yeah, no, that was it. That was it. It's well, Is it's it? not. No, okay. <laughs> um, the kid, no, the kid has a crazy fucked up name. Yeah. Um, it, well, he was just in the Goldfinch that I watched, which is fantastic. But my point is, like, I picture Ansel Elgort. There we go. There that's we go. How, that's you. why I can't remember that name. Hard as fuck to remember. I feel like there are a a there's a list of high class actors, right? Your your Glenn Close's even that, that probably sit down and go, man, I wish I could make a Tarantino film. Like, I wish he could write a role for me. You know, I mean, who doesn't idolize Uma Thurman's role in The Bride, which it was known as until like the very end, which was the Kill Bill series? You know, I mean, they, they wrote the, he wrote that for her, and there's something so incredibly cool about Quentin Tarantino because I mean, he's like the cool hand look of, of filmmaking, man. He's the, he's the Paul Newman. He just does it. And it, and it makes sense. And that's one thing that I don't think we really touched on too much. Uh, I think what sets him apart from a lot of those other directors that are listed there, he writes his shit. Yeah. Martin, when was the last time Martin Scorsese wrote a movie? When was the last time that Francis Ford Coppola or even Spielberg, who yeah. used to write his movies, now he has projects that are already written for him. Sure. He, even though he's as, as successful as he is, he writes his own shit. Yeah. And he's producing it. I mean... Uh, I think of all the creators, maybe him and Christopher Nolan, because Christopher Nolan writes his stuff as well. Um, I think of the list, him and Christopher Nolan have to be at the top just because they are overseeing the complete creation of their vision. So from writing it down on paper to getting the financing, producing it, directing it, editing it, putting it out. um, I mean, they will see their vision from the very beginning to the very end. And he doesn't... his. Vision doesn't waver. His quality doesn't waver. I think it's getting better. Yeah. He's about to retire. Um, he said he's going to retire after the next movie. Um, and Once Upon, Once Upon a Time Hollywood is one of the best movies he's done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, he's I great. agree. Well, and you, when you think about it in, in the vein of, you know, your, the Kevin Smith, the Christopher Nolan, the Tarantino theme that we're talking about, isn't that the purest aspect of filmmaking? Isn't that when you when you always go back, like you mentioned, you go back, Reservoir Dogs was like the first time I interacted with Tarantino and I really got to know his work. But it's kind of no different than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because the yeah. same process. Yeah, he got better and he got better actors and he got better cameras and he got better publicity, but he's, the process never changed. And that's the, that's the beauty of filmmaking with Tarantino because he stays pure to what the process is. And that is, I don't need it to be glorified as a, as a Hollywood production as a cash cow 
I'm making a movie, man. I'm telling a story, and, and I'm and I'm giving people an opportunity to share in my vision. And to me, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, and you know, he wants to make a Star Trek movie, but he wants to make a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't waver from what he wants to do, and I, I think when he was first starting out, he was probably asked to. Uh, take some different uh, or make some different de- mm-hmm. decisions, and but uh, you know Weinstein would allow him to have full creative um, say on his work. Now he can do whatever he wants, and nobody's gonna say like I don't. I'm not gonna finance that movie, and like I'm fucking Quentin Tarantino. I just got nominated for an Academy Award. You're not gonna make my movie? Are you yeah. fucking out of your mind? <laughs> right. Like okay, well I'll go find somebody who wants my shit. Exactly. So. so um, that was great. You know, yeah. I, I love Quentin Tarantino, man. What, what a great topic. Um, we're at, we spoke an hour about Quentin Tarantino. We only yeah. spoke like 50 minutes about Goonies. So oh, okay. <laughs> this kind of shows our love for Quentin Tarantino. Um, so, uh, we do this podcast once a month. Uh, next month we're going to talk about my guy, Kevin Smith, director, writer, pod enthusiast, <laughs> a podcaster. I mean, this guy is very fucking talented and he's never been more popular than he is now so it'll be fun for chris i don't know how intimately you're involved with kevin smith like i am i i don't fucking know everything about uh, kevin smith yeah not to uh, your level but it, like it's higher than most yeah so uh we're going next month uh be looking out for the dive bar about kevin smith uh next week we are recording another episode of the ma high podcast we have uh my good friend Courtney, who is a graduate from the Second City Academy, she works in the marijuana industry, and she is like the biggest Harry Potter nerd I've ever known. Um, so much so that uh, I feel a little intimidated. We're going to do some Harry Potter trivia. Okay. I'm a little intimidated by her because she was one of those ones that would like go to Barnes and Noble at midnight dressed as uh, Dumbledore or yeah. whatever. Um, so I'm a little intimidated by high Harry Potter trivia, but it's going to be a great time, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, any last uh, parting thoughts, Chris? No, no, go out and watch a Tarantino movie. At what, yes, go and watch Inglorious Bastards. There you go. I'm, when was the last time you went out and you watched Inglorious Bastards? What are you going to watch? I'm going to I'm gonna go home and I'm going to watch uh, Death Proof, because I haven't seen it before, yeah. and you ha- I would take your recommendations Pretty well. So, All right. There it is. What, are you going to watch anything special? Uh, you know, I, I've got to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. I've yeah. only watched it twice, and, uh, and Brittany and I will probably watch it again. So. I'm waiting for it. He's going to put out a four-hour long version. Okay. Uh, and I'm waiting for that one. But yeah. I'm excited to see that one. So you can't go wrong with any of those movies on the list. So go check out a Tarantino movie. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Ma... Or, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wrong show. Yeah, we're the dive bar. Uh, we're the dive bar. Sorry. Yeah, so we are the Dive Bar. So thank you so much for listening to the Dive Bar. Not the Mott High Podcast, but we are all from Truckee Pacific Productions. So thank you. Special shout out to them. So thanks so much. Have a good night. The Dive Bar is a Truckee Pacific production. For comments or sponsorship inquiries, go to thedivebarpodcast at gmail.com.
The Dive Bar is a Truckee Pacific production. For comments or sponsorship inquiries, go to thedivebarpodcast at gmail.com.